Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing. This episode was conducted by guest host, Will Cho. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the series. Our guest today is Michael Batko. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and what you're currently doing? Yeah, um, so I'm the CEO of Startmate. Um, Startmate, um, we define ourselves as the epicenter of startup ambition in Australia and New Zealand. We started off as an accelerator, and now we have many more programs, um, which we call fellowships for operators, as well as investor programs. Michael, what made you get into startups? Have you always been interested in it? Um, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> I um, started in finance myself. So I was actually, my first job ever was as a financial analyst in American Express. And then I did a bit of consulting. Um, and um, my first startup actually was when I first moved to Australia. So you can hear from my accent that it's um, German. So I'm from Austria, but I moved to Australia seven, eight years ago. And um, I actually really wanted to work in a bar and be a backpacker. But it turns out that my first job in Australia would be um, as the first kind of employee at Madpools, a um, marketplace for pet sitters. <laughs> That's quite a big difference, you know, being a, a bar, working in a bar and working in a startup. <laughs> did, you, did you fall into it? What drew you to Madpools? Yeah, totally. Oh, it wasn't planned at all. Um, honestly, I posted on a Facebook group being like, hey, who's got a job for me in Australia? <laughs> and a friend of a friend of a friend connected me with the founder, um, Alexis, um, who uh, didn't even want to hire me. And I actually played a soccer game with the team and, <laughs> um, and they liked the way I played. <laughs> so um, I actually was then um, hired as part-time first and then full-time later. Um, and it was complete serendipity. I didn't know anything about startups. Uh, I didn't know anything about dogs or cats or marketplaces. And it was completely random. Coming from a background, obviously not working in startups, how did you adapt then um, working at mm -hmm. Madpause? Yeah, totally. Oh, so interesting. 
Um, I think the biggest one was the one around um, in a corporate or in bigger companies, there's always somebody who knows the answer or somebody who you can go to to mentor you, to tell you how it's done. And there's already somebody above you who's responsible for it. And um, it start, it's, in starts, it was just such a different attitude where you actually had to have the drive and the hunger to find the answer for yourself. And it was kind of the attitude of like, well, nobody will tell you what it's what, what to do or how it's done right because often there is no right because you often are doing things which nobody has done before. Um, and that kind of attitude was like the biggest shift for me. And how did I... Um, how did I change into that sphere? Um, honestly, it just took time. It was quite natural, but it took time. And I think one of those <laughs> pivotal stories um, from my early journey in MadPod actually was, which kind of illustrates the way of thinking, was that I still remember Alexis um, gave me an intern and himself a hundred bucks on Facebook advertising each and was just like, whoever gets the most clicks on this ad will get a case of beer. And that was kind of like the, oh, wow, this is very different to a corporate. I have no idea about Facebook advertising and now I'm just getting a hundred bucks to just play around with it. <laughs> and that kind of attitude, that was kind of what, what shifted my mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that led to the next and here you are as the CEO of Startmate, you know, one of the most prominent um, accelerators in Australia. And throughout your time working in this startup industry, how do you think our ecosystem has changed to say over the, those last seven or so years? Mm. Oh, so much. Um, so much. I'm just trying to uh, think through a structure which I can tell you or like to, to tell you about the difference. Um, there's probably two. One of them is on the operator front and the other one is on the VC front. Um, on the operator front, when I first started um, in startups in Australia, so that was seven, eight years ago now, I worked at MadPause and an expert for 60 years, essentially like an operations manager. And there, there was just no network to to ask anybody questions of. So like I said, like you were kind of there by yourself trying to figure things out. And there was no other way for me to talk to other operations managers or talk to other startups, maybe outside of the co-working space I was in. And there was just not that much communication, especially as somebody more junior in a startup itself. So the big change from back then to now um, is just the one of so many more support networks exist. I mean, even as part of Startmate, we've got now fellowships of hundreds of people who all live in one Slack channel who ask each other questions around marketing and operations and hiring, etc. And that just didn't exist seven, eight years ago. It would have been so helpful. And the other side of things is maybe the VC front, which I've already noticed in Startmate over the last three and a half, four years, where three, four years ago, getting a VC job was pretty much impossible because there was literally no VC jobs advertised. <laughs> mm. Just like the number of VCs was actually quite low. There were never any new roles because VCs were like, the size, even the big ones were a size of like five to 10 people. And especially over the last three and a half years, they've, they've exploded like just the number of VCs, but also the size of VCs. And there's never been more roles in venture capital than over the last two, three years. Like now they come out weekly in all different areas, not even just on the investing side. Yeah, that's very interesting. So in essence, it's almost the density of our ecosystem, the people, support structures, and just in general, they're all growing since you last worked at MadPause. Uh, what, what do you think is the catalyst for this? Why is there such a, an explosion in interest in, in startups? Yeah, definitely. So 
it's it's probably just a long time in the making. It's those stories which started 10, 15 years ago, which are finally kind of coming to fruition where um, the, the most prominent startups in Australia are now kind of laying the foundation for like the second and the third wave of startups where people from Atlassian and um, and Canva, et cetera, are leaving the organization, starting their own startups, becoming operators back into the ecosystem. And it's kind of like fueling each other. Um, and it is attracting a lot more money, which therefore is also attracting a lot more talent, which then is kind of growing the entire ecosystem together. And the exciting thing is that the startup ecosystem has always been one of people just paying it forward and helping each other. So coupled that together with a massive growth and some of the massive network effects of people helping each other and without expecting anything back, which is just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure if you've ever dabbled into startups uh, in Austria or perhaps anywhere else in the world. Do, do you think that we're on, a, on the right direction as an ecosystem in Australia or what else could we be doing to improve on? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's all the right building blocks in Australia. I genuinely think we um, can be world leaders and are already world leaders in, in building startups. Here, it is exactly the right kind of attitude and we've got all the right ingredients um, from universities, people taking risks all the way um, through to building companies. Um, there's definitely a couple of things which we can improve uh, on as a country, um, such as policies and sophisticated investor kind of um, restrictions. Um, but no, it's absolutely in the right path. Mm. So you mentioned that uh, just then, that we, we do have all the right building blocks, like people taking risks uh, outside of university and so on. Um, I think I read somewhere that Australia, in terms of startup commercialization, is not really punching our weight in terms of OECD countries. Um, I think it was like ranked 40 or something in the world, which is pretty low, like to be completely honest. Why, why do you think that's the case? Yeah, so um, the, the one thing which, um, which Australia still needs to change a little bit is the mindset of taking risks. Um, other countries just have it more inherently as part of their culture. Um, whereas in Australia, that's just not the norm yet. This is, for example, actually something that we're trying to address at StartMate with um, an initiative we call the Student Fellowship, where um, students in Australia, I mean, if it were, actually, when I compare it back to Austria and Europe, um, by the time you graduate in Austria or anywhere in Europe and you study, you've probably done three different internships and three different companies. And by the time you choose your career, you've already had so many different touch points. In Australia, that's actually not quite the case yet. Usually what I see people doing is uh, study law and then the natural thing to do is do a clerkship and then you actually end up in exactly the same law firm post-studies again, which is like you haven't even tried that many things yet before deciding on your career. Um, and that kind of change in mindset of actually trying something that's not banking, consulting, law, um, being a lawyer, etc., um, and going up outside of that is actually something that just needs to change. So for example, what I mentioned there is at Southbank we do a student fellowship of now 200 students every six months in the summer and winter breaks who just get to explore startups for two weeks, who get actually matched to internships at start, uh, startups and actually just building that, that kind of more risk appetite in a way and showing people like this is genuinely a career path. And if you can change that, then it kind of elevates the entire startup ecosystem again. Yeah. What you said about seeing startups as a genuine career path kind of piques my interest because 
why do we not see it as something that could be a viable career? Well, exactly. So that's the, that's the thing. Like people still see it as um, risky, or they see, don't see themselves building one because they don't have the technology skills, or I'm not the developer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that perception seems to change. Like we, um, you don't actually need to be able to uh, to code to be in a startup. You actually startups have so much to give you. Like so many people see. Um, see their career as kind of like a, I want to eventually be in a startup in order to get there. I need to build out my skills first. And then they go into banking, consulting, and to learn Excel and here and there and so on. And they kind of thinking about like, I need to build up my skills first. But actually the out of uh, the flipping the thinking and being like, well, actually in a startup is when you can um, learn the most. That's actually the, that's the kind of the interesting mindset change here. Mm. I want to touch a bit, a bit into, um, more of the owner side. So you mentioned that at Startmate, for example, you have this two-week program where you expose people um, to working in startups and so on. Is that, would you say that's the solution to changing this mindset? Or do you think it starts with, I don't know, government or universities to run these programs? Or like, how do we start to make effect to these um, mindset changes? And who should do it? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm probably not the best person to um, to kind of comment on like the the large scale initiatives, <laughs> etc. Like what I always like to do is kind of play my role, of just doing things bottom up and affecting things that I can affect in a way. And I'm always just the one of staying away from policy <laughs> changes because they can take a very long time. So what I love to do is literally like affect 400 students a year, and if those 400 students build 100 companies. That's a hundred companies per year, which are built kind of, which is a, a really good starting point. And that's kind of like the, it's almost like I, I really am interested in like the atomic little units of individuals changing the world rather than trying to affect entire governments to change them. And absolutely that needs to be changes as well. Yeah. I understand your point. It's when, when we start to dabble into these large scale changes, it, it becomes quite boggling to think about, um, how, do, how does in practice that actually works? Um, what you mentioned also is quite interesting because from your sphere of influence, you just want to say help 400 people and then um, those people create their companies to help more people. Do you think that there's a little bit of instability in relying on hope as a strategy to grow our ecosystem? Mm. So in essence, we're hoping that people will go back and give to the community. But what if they don't? Does that mean that our startup ecosystem is doomed to fail? <laughs> um, no, I almost don't see it as hope. In a way, I, I almost see that as a given. There's there's mm. almost no way of somebody not to give back. It's almost like if somebody um, reaches out a hand to you to help and you change your life, it's almost inevitable for you to want to give back to the community. We've seen the time out, time in, time out again. Startmate over ten years now, where founders go through the accelerator program, get so much help, come back as mentors, invest their personal money back into Startmate, and we see the same things in fellowships. It's almost like that that flywheel, which just never stops. Like You probably still remember the person which um, helped you get your current job or the job just before that, and you will never forget them. And whenever I ask you for a favor, you will always pay it back kind of thing. It's those kind of moments which, which change your lives, which people just don't forget, and they will always want to pay it back. Maybe that's a bit of like a romanticized view of the world, but I genuinely believe in the good of people. The, the next question, I guess, is 
If a new founder or entrepreneur came to you, and given all your experiences, your mistakes, wins, what's one piece of advice you'd give them that would help them increase their chances of success? Um, I always keep coming back to the same advice here, honestly. Like, and um, it is always the one around talking to customers. It's like people always see fundraising as as the goal, or money as the goal, or persuading people to come on the journey, or mentoring and getting advice, etc. But the only answer which is right is always the one I've talked to customers. And that's the best advice I have for any founder. Whatever stage they're in, like whatever problem they have, the answer always lies with the customer, whether they are at the interview stage, whether they already have hundreds of customers. It's always the one of like coming back to that and talking through the problem and what is the actual burning challenge here. And you will always be able to distill that ultimately founders have kind of two problems here like one is a product problem and the other one is a distribution problem and both those problems can be solved by customer conversations on the pro uh, on the product side of things we'll be able to determine what's actually important to the customer to actually build and on the distribution side of things it's the same thing of like if you talk to enough customers you actually distribute the product and um, to the world and you're essentially doing sales and marketing already inherently yeah, definitely. It's a kill all birds with one stone and you're constantly bringing your customer into that journey of building your product rather than building a solution to try to fit it into the, the problem. Mm. The last question, I guess, is not really a question, but more about a space for you to talk about anything that's on your mind regarding our community. So is, is there anything that is currently on your mind that you'd like to get the word out? Um, we're aiming for this podcast to reach policymakers entrepreneurs, mentors, investors, and so on. What, what's, what would you like them to hear? Yeah, um, I think what, what is on my mind is, um, is kind of the future of, um, of, the, of StartMate itself is probably like the biggest one for me, where um, what we have, what we are landing on in Australia is lots and lots of spaces and communities and accelerators and co-working spaces, etc., and maybe the message itself would just be what a one of this is what we're trying to build at Startmate, or what we are building at Startmate essentially is kind of the epicenter of startup ambition. We actually want to marry essentially the freaky personas of startups in one place, which is founders, operators, and investors. And we're actually building this kind of place of them all to come together. So um, maybe another way to phrase it is kind of the one of um, what we're trying to do at Startmate is reduce the distance between people and actually just getting them to help each other and bring them closer to each other. And rather just doing this with founders and mentors, we actually do that now between founders and their investors. And once they have money with people, they can hire as well with the operators. And if you put those three people in one kind of place, that's when you have a truly thriving ecosystem. Yeah, Absolutely. Something that just popped to my mind when you mentioned this is the prevalence of uh, accelerators and um, co-working spaces that has really grown in Australia over the recent 10 years. Do you think it can ever be a bad thing to have too many? Because you're, you're in essence competing with one another. Yeah, um, I actually don't see it necessarily as a bad thing on the competition side of things. I, I probably see it as uh, a bad thing for... Um, for founders themselves, sometimes having too much support can also be damaging. It's almost like a, just because you can walk on the power line doesn't mean you should be walking on the power line. And with accelerators and too much support and too many accelerators can do, it's almost like 
help people be on those power lines for too long. What I mean by that is almost like trying to keep startups alive, which could have realized much sooner and earlier that it actually isn't and it doesn't have a place to be. Um, so it's almost just a one-off um, letting startups die and um, and rise again from whatever um, next thing is that they're coming up with. Hmm. So too many accelerators in themselves can actually proliferate um, just too many companies which probably um, just could have gone on to the next journey already. Yeah, I understand your point. It's, I guess, throwing money at the pro- money and time at the problem um, when, when you're not actually looking at um, how to solve. So you're just hoping that the company will succeed when in reality it, it really shouldn't because it's just being sustained by, um, you know, say, VC money or accelerator money and so on. Yeah, the real challenge kind of with too many accelerators is just with, I always find it an interesting one of what is the actual incentive for the accelerator program itself. And the incentives are usually come from where does the money come from in terms of revenue. And for founders, and that's kind of the start made attitude, the mentoring and the advice which founders get should always be from other founders and people who have been there and done that and have the empathy to help you along the journey. And if that advice doesn't come from founders, but like let's call it corporate executives or government officials and stuff, well, they've actually never been in the shoes of founders and done the real kind of journey which a founder has done. So I always find it ill-placed. Um, so actually just keeping that really true to, to giving founders the right ingredients um, is super important. Mm. Absolutely. Do you think that Australia has a lot of founder-led accelerators and mentors? Because as we were talking about before, um, we're only really like the third generation of third wave where alumni from Atlassian or, or, or Canva are just starting out their own companies and giving back. Yeah. I mean, um, I always see um, accelerators as essentially four um, prevalent kind of business models. And the, the first one is kind of the university-backed accelerator where um, usually it's alumni of the university coming through and they're great non-dilutive um, grant funding usually and, and very focused on, on their own alumni. There's a second one, um, which is kind of corporate-backed accelerators, which again, when you think about where the money comes from, it is focused on the corporate themselves and creating good outcomes for the corporates rather than the founders. So again, like incentive alignment is very important. The third part is actually probably a dangerous one, which is government-funded accelerators, where um, it is a good gig for like two or three years, whilst you have the government funding, but it is a, accelerators are just incredibly difficult cash flow businesses because you don't see the cash coming back until 10, 15 years down the line, and there's actually not much money there operationally. So once you are off the kind of government grant funding, well, then those accelerators just die and again, left with nothing. Um, and the third model, so back to your question as well, is kind of that um, is exactly the startmate model, which is actually a mentor-driven seed fund in a way. So uh, for us, actually, every single mentor is a founder or an ex-founder, and they invest $10,000 all the way up to half a million dollars personally into every single fund that we raise every six months for the cohort. And they're literally personally invested in that fund and in the accelerator and in the success of that cohort themselves. So the beauty of that is that they have real skin in the game. They actually care about those startups. They've been in the shoes of those founders before, and they really have the empathy to give that kind of advice. So yeah, so I'm kind of drumming the startmate um, drum here, um, but it is a very unique business model, even in the entire world. I don't know any other accelerator which is actually even structured that way. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.